people who are willing to accept what's happening and let go and let their body be the guide, they have a better life and a better death. This is the When You Die podcast. If it has to do with death and dying, we're talking about it. I'm Johanna Lund, your host today. Today, I'm delighted to be talking with Julie McFadden, better known as Hospice Nurse Julie. She has been working as a hospice nurse for the past five years, and prior to that, worked in intensive care for close to a decade. Julie is passionate about educating people on what happens as we die. Her wonderful TikTok videos have made waves with over half a million followers, making her a viral sensation. She can be found on TikTok at Hospice Nurse Julie. I am so excited to be talking to you today. You know, it's it's kind of like meeting a, a kindred soul uh, in the death positive movement, which is a funny term, right? Death positive. Who wants to be positive about death? But, well, you do. Me? I was just going to say, I do. <laughs> yes. Definitely death positive. Okay, I've got to ask the classic question. What was it that propelled you to do these videos on TikTok? So I've been a nurse for 14 years, and I was an ICU nurse for most of those years. And then I've just recently, the past five years, have become a hospice and palliative care nurse. And over that time, I have obviously witnessed a lot of death and dying. And I have been amazed by what I witnessed, just the miraculousness, if that's a word, of the body itself and how it truly takes care of us at the end of life, as well as all throughout life. But most recently, I had been helping certain friends through the death and dying process with their parents, their grandparents, and they were some really close friends. And they were coming to me and asking me things. And I was kind of regurgitating stuff that I just just falls off my tongue because I've been doing this for a while now. And their responses were so like, what? <laughs> I can't believe this. I can't believe you know this stuff. I, how have we not talked about this before? And then it reminded me like, oh, yeah, not everybody knows these things that are pretty common at the end of life and everyone should know this why why doesn't everyone know this so that started my journey with like how can i get it out how can i get this information out originally i wanted to do a podcast but it's a lot of work and i don't have a lot of time and, and i don't want to edit and there's just a lot of things that go into it and i maybe i'll do it again some other time but like at this moment i didn't want to so i went home uh, to see my nieces who are 12 and 11. And after we were all vaccinated, we hadn't seen each other for a long time because uh, of the pandemic. So I went home and they were showing me TikTok. And as like a <laughs> 39 year old, you know, I'm obviously not their generation. I was kind of like joking with them and making fun of them. And like they were showing me the dances and trying to teach me the dances on TikTok. And so I downloaded TikTok so I could see their dances and like see the videos they were posting. And it was just like a fun thing. And then while I was there, I started like actually watching TikTok. And I was like, this is great. This is actually a great app. This is amazing. There's not just people dancing on here. There's people saying all types of stuff and great educational videos. And I was like, I'm going to make videos on TikTok. And I did. I made a bunch right in a row. Didn't do anything special. They were very amateur videos of just me talking and I posted them. And then four days later, one of them went viral. And I feel like it just kept doing that. 
over and over and over again. And I was pretty surprised and I just kept doing it over and over again and just making more videos. And here we are. That's amazing. And it's really yeah, great. it's been really fun. So it really just bubbled up to the point that you felt like, well, people should know these things, you know? Yeah. And that's, it wasn't even hard to make videos at first. I made like dozens of videos because it was like, all I was doing is just rattling off everything I normally rattle off. Right. Um, I still don't really have a hard time thinking of videos to make. Um, a lot of them are repeats because I think people need to hear the same thing over and over again. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, it wasn't like, what, how am I going to say this? It was like, oh, I'm just going to talk to people like they're my patient or they're, they're a person of a family member and, and I'd post it and people would watch it. And it was really, it's, a, it's encouraging that people are willing to listen. Yeah, I think people are hungry to listen. You know, when I started the When You Die project, well, it grew out of my research that I did for these films. I'm a filmmaker. And uh, I've worked in broadcasting for most of my career. And then I quit and I started my own company. And this has been a, a project I've wanted to do for a long time. And then it just reached the point where I had a gap and it's like, okay, it's time. I'll do it now. So I really started researching in earnest about six years ago. And I had so much research that I just thought, well, I'm going to Put it on a website so i started building out our website and the resource section got huge and the articles and i thought oh all right we're going to be the huffington post of death and dying and that was my yeah. aspiration for the website and then of course the podcast sort of grew out of that and in the meantime i'm making four films and the first one came out in its process of making its way into the world in the realm of death and dreaming and so that's kind of the organic quality but Part of the inspiration wasn't just my own experiences being young and losing my mother and my best friend and a lot of things like that. And there being no space in our social world for grief. There was just no accommodation mm -hmm. because death was so, we're not going there. We don't know how, like you've got the plague now, go away. And when you come back, we'll fold you back into the, into the herd. But also knowing that the process of dying was a total mystery. I loved all the stories around deathbed dreams or visitations and discovering how common these things are, like up to 80% of us will either personally have that experience or witness a loved one having that experience. It's like, just like what you were saying, why are people not talking about this? And I realized, it, it, that we, we somehow don't realize that being a human being is also kind of an extraordinary thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love when I do the visioning or dying people seeing dead relatives videos, they always do well. And it never fails that people think I'm not everybody, but a lot, I get a lot of people saying like I, I, that I'm trying to push of you or wouldn't that be nice if, you know, like they think I have some sort of agenda <laughs> to making people think, and that the, the truth is I don't, I'm not saying because they have these visions there, there's an afterlife. I'm, I'm not saying that. All I'm saying is almost all of my patients see dead relatives <laughs> or have some type of visioning or tell me they're seeing their mom, or, you know, uh, or say they see angels, say they hear a choir, say whatever it is, right? That's all I'm trying to say is it happens so often 
that we have to literally educate the people and the families that it's happening to that this is normal and it's okay. Right. You know, uh, that's how often it happens. I don't think we're trying to say why it happens. It's right. just one of those things that it's like, isn't that crazy? <laughs> right. Isn't that nice? Yeah. Cause mo- I mean, I would say almost all of the time it's, it's always a good thing. It doesn't feel scary or bad to them. It feels comforting. Right. And I think that's the point. And I totally agree with my work. I'm not trying to tell people whether consciousness continues or not, but there's a lot of interesting information around that question that people can then make their own decisions. And I respect all points of view, but what I feel really strongly about is that these things happen and they are comforting to the people who are having those experiences So don't undercut their experience. As a loved one, don't say, oh, come on, Pops. You're just in the room here with us. You're hallucinating now or more meds, more meds. He's out, you know, or whatever. It's more like, that's fantastic. That's wonderful. How fortunate that you're having this experience. How good, like, doesn't matter how crazy it might seem to you, validate those experiences, right? What did what yes. just that alone could be? Yeah. Yeah. Validate. Tell them I said hi. Right. <laughs> like, And that also never fails. People think it's medications just from being a nurse alone. It's like, that's not, this is so different. Like, like as a clinician, like, you know, what delusions look like, you know, what delirium looks like, you know, what hallucinations look like, you know, what agitation and like different things look like. That is not how this presents. If I thought it was medication, I would say that, right? As a clinician, I would say, oh, it's because da 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 da. And there are people with certain, and not always, but I mean, there are times when uh, it's a dementia patient and they are agitated and they are super confused and they do think someone and they're paranoid and someone's coming after them. That's not what we're talking about here. That's not that's not what we're talking about. It's it's a, a different thing. And I used to work in the ICU too, where people would have ICU psychosis. And it's so easy to me to see the difference as a clinician between true hallucinations, delusions, delirium, psychosis versus someone having what we'd call visioning, I guess. Mm. And what seems mm. to be like the dividing line there between a hallucination and... With visioning, it's usually one, they're usually pretty lucid. It's not like they're also not making much sense. I mean, sometimes they're not very tangible, but a lot of times they are. A lot of times they're totally lucid. They're like walking and talking and also telling me that they saw their dad last night. That's the biggest thing is there's a lot of lucidity usually. And it's never correlated with medications. It's not like we've given a bunch of medications and now they're seeing stuff. Let's see. There's usually also when it's like true delirium, there's like a lot of restlessness and agitation with it. Like it's usually restless and agitated and saying strange things. Uh Um, With visioning, there's usually no agitation or um, uh, restlessness. It's like comfort and ease. So it just appears differently. Because when someone's like having delirium or psychosis, you usually need to medicate for that. Because they're obviously uncomfortable. Whereas visioning, you're never, you don't need to medicate because they're very comfortable and they're kind of just point blank telling you what, what's going on or even whispering it to you because they're like, I know this sounds crazy, 
But let me tell you what's happening to me. I love those conversations. I love when someone feels comfortable enough to say that, to say those things to me. It's like, oh, I love you. <laughs> I love you. And this is so normal. And I'm so happy this is happening for you. And they usually say, me too. I feel really comfortable. I'm kind of excited. I can't wait to go wherever they're telling me I'm going. That's amazing. That is amazing. Yeah. Oh gosh, there's so many directions we could go in. What we don't understand really is what the, what is the dying process look like? Like this is obviously a hallmark of it, but where does it fit in the kind of continuum? What would a healthy, supported dying process look like? Look like in general, like not just with the visioning thing, just in general? Just in general, yeah. Yeah, I mean the visioning thing, like where does it fit in? It. Yeah, yeah, it is. Uh huh. So I always, uh, it's it's much more vague when they're less, when they're further from death. I guess there's like it, there's a vagueness of where they are in this like dying process, which mm-hmm. is very gray, and people don't like that, <laughs> including me. I want black and white. I want to know. Like people are, I think people are. A lot of people are surprised that most people on hospice want to know they want to know like what when do you think you know what when how much time do I have how long is it that you know they want to know I feel like they're finally getting to a place where there's a person who's willing to say the word dying and death and actually talk about it and look you in the eyes and not be afraid to say things so they're kind of like hungry for answers now which is why my job is not depressing. It feels like I'm helping people every day. And people, I hate, I, I, I always get so cringy when people are like, oh, you're a hospice nurse. That must be so hard, you know? And I get it. But this is why I'm, I'm trying to change the speed, even that. It's like, it's not hard at all. It's the best thing I ever did. I would literally do it for free. I'm serious. It's not depressing. It's wonderful. Okay, I'll get off my little soapbox. People want to know. So in general, when you come on hospice, generalities here, this is very general, but uh, it's usually six months or less to live. It depends on like what you're dying from. And I will say this, this is exactly what I say to all my patients. At first, it's very vague. It's like, you're just going to see a lot of sleeping and not a lot of eating, a lot of sleeping, not a lot of eating, less energy, less movement, less, you know, they're kind of cocooning. I would say they're not a social, I'm putting everything in a box here. It's not always a box, but if I wanted to make it a little box and say this. And as you get closer to death, you know, you're getting closer because those things will increase exponentially. So you are like sleeping all the time, like sleeping in the middle of the day, sleeping all through the night, then not waking up till 11, then, you know, and then skipping meals, not wanting to eat, not wanting to drink, functional decline. This would tell me you're probably like weeks to like a month out if you're sleeping like almost all day and night and not eating at all Mm -hmm. and starting to have trouble going to the bathroom right or any kind of uh, bathing yourself but anything like you shouldn't if you're like a month from death you're usually not doing that stuff by yourself you usually need help and that's when you start visioning usually people will start having either sometimes they'll say they have dreams like they'll say they have dreams or um, my grand, you know, my I saw my grandpa here last night. He was sitting at the edge of my bed. So that usually, once I start saying that, I think, okay, they're probably a few weeks out from death. And then when you're a few weeks, or I always give ranges, like a few days to a few weeks, which is very vague, I know, but you're really not eating. You're sleeping all the time. 
it's just that a lot of that. It's like someone is cocooning, I like to say. Now, depending on what disease you have too, so you could have your of course there's symptoms in there. It's not from death, it's not from dying, it's from the it's from the disease that you're dying from. And some people really don't have any symptoms. There can be increased pain, right? Because of the disease you're dying from, it's progressing, increased shortness of breath, depending on what you're dying from, right? So all those things in the mix, we're trying to navigate and medicate for. And then actively dying, which is a few hours to a few days, is the time where it's pretty easy to know someone's near death, right? That's like the very specific and almost everybody, no matter what you're dying from, if you're on hospice, will look the same during the actively dying phase. So you're unconscious, you're not eating and drinking, changes in breathing, changes in skin color, terminal secretions, which is called, which is everyone knows as the death rattle, Mm -hmm. which I hate that word, but sounds so awful. Or I mean, I don't know. People think it sounds awful. So I always try to normalize all of those things that like the actively dying phase is not painful. It's totally normal. This is like every single person's going to look like this and they're okay. How do you know that? Because they would show us if they were not okay, they would show it on their face. They're like babies. You know, babies will tell you if they're fussy, if they don't feel good, if they're not okay, they'd be moaning, they'd be crying, they'd be doing something. It is just, it is like that. So if they're not doing those things, then they are okay. And everything you're seeing is totally normal. Changes in breathing, totally normal. Even though they look not normal. Yeah. It's it like can our be body. Scary, right. It can be yeah. scary if you don't know these things and that the death rattle is horrifying. <laughs> I know. It really is. There's always different circumstances, right? There are some times when it's like worse than others and maybe causing uncomfortability, things like that, right? But for the most part, all it is is secretions that are not being swallowed, but still being produced, secretions in our mouth that are being produced. Because we, you and I are sitting here talking and our body's making secretions to keep our mouth moist. And then our brains being like, swallow it unconsciously. Like that's why our bodies are miraculous, right? It's all happening without us knowing it. But in the dying process, the secretions are still being made and our body is not swallowing it. It's either too weak to swallow or the brain's not really saying, hey, swallow Mm. this. Mm-hmm. So it sits there and it's not even that much, but it just sits there in the mouth. And then with each breath going over that wetness, mm-hmm. it makes a sound and it sounds gurgly, right? So then everyone thinks it's like coming from the chest. I hear a lot like, oh, they're, it sounds like they're drowning. They're just not. I know what that kind of sounds like too. It comes from a whole different part of your body if you actually did have fluid overload in your lungs. So that's not happening. It's like coming from here with the, which no one can see me, but (laughs) like the back of the throat versus the chest. And there's things we can do about it. The reason why we don't always do things about it is because we could give medications to dry it up, which is fine, but then they have a dry mouth. So now you're trying to constantly combat the dry mouth, which is uncomfortable. But I always just try to normalize how normal it is right? and how okay it is. Right. And we go by how they look, right? If they don't look okay, then we're going to treat them like they're not okay. But if they look okay, then we're okay. That answer your question? I don't know. I feel like I rattled off a bunch of stuff. No, 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 no. Well, you might feel that way, but it was all things that are really helpful for people to understand. And I think we still have this idea that death is extraordinary. It's a disease. It needs to be cured, fixed right down to the last minute. But everything you just described is part of a normal process and that 
the body knows, right? Yes, the body knows. The bo- that is one thing. That's the one message I wanted to make sure everyone understood when I started TikTok. I have been amazed by how much our bodies do for us. Like, that's why I always tell patients, let your body be the guide. Like, you're now the boss. Your body's the boss. Listen to it. If you're hungry, eat. If you're thirsty, drink. If you're not, don't. (laughs) If you want to sleep, sleep. Like, as long as you're clean, I mean, don't, like, lay in waste, right? Like, you can't, don't do that to yourself. But listen to your body. For the most part, that will really really be a guidepost and really help you. And, and help you have a peaceful death. Now, I, I don't want to paint this like picture that every disease is so easy and just listen to your body. Sometimes, you know, your body is not doing what it's supposed to, right? And there are certain diseases that really need to be managed by a medical team so you can have a peaceful death. But I would say that's few and far between. For the most part, it's the other way around. Let, let your body be the guide, listen to your body, and it will help you die peacefully because it's inevitable like that's the thing it's like i think people want to fight the death or something but it's like there are points in everyone's life including me Mm -hmm. right that we we have to go with it if you don't that's when you really suffer from what i've what i've seen people who i don't want to like uh blame them because i i I understand it's incredibly hard but I, i think that's why i wanted people to be educated because what i've seen is people who are willing to Mm-hmm. accept what's happening and let go and let their body be the guide. They have a better life and a better death versus people who won't do that. It's they don't enjoy the rest to, of their life. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard, it's hard to accept. Like when, when you say you've now got a terminal illness, right? Can I actually believe that? <laughs> you know, like, know. whoa, you're talking about me here. Like that's, it's so outside of our understanding in a way to actually say I'm dying or for me to say you, my beloved are dying. There's just, isn't much modeling in our our world to kind of get that. I mean, I guess it happens on a couple of other levels. And I think it happens continuously. Like I, people always ask if I'm afraid of death. No, I'm not afraid of death. And I'm human. And if I were to die, like be, like you said, be diagnosed tomorrow with some kind of terminal illness, it's not like I'm not going to be human and not have a bunch of overwhelming feelings all different times of day, different days. I'm going to have fear, anger, resistance, (laughs) denial. I'm going to go through all of that stuff. And I think I'll go through all of that, all different days at different times. Mm. And that's the whole process. Like when, I mean, most of the people I meet, are not necessarily 100% in acceptance, right? And like, I try to meet them where they're at and say like, guess what? You're so normal. You're so normal for not being, (laughs) for not being ready to die, for not being willing to accept this, for not being okay with this is happening. Like that's really normal. So let's just like, let's just accept that, (laughs) that like, almost accept that, accept that you can't accept it. I feel like just starting there, take some uh-huh. weight off of it or something. That's good. That, like, yeah. The pressure try to accept good. this. Yes. 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 Yeah. Cause it's going to go back and forth all the time. Sure. And for me personally, right. This is just a personal statement, but like for me, I know that the more I'm connected to whatever it is that makes me feel like centered 
and like myself. Like for me, it's like a higher power, just a spirituality in general, not like a religion, but some kind of like spirit, some kind of like greater thing than me, right? Or some source. Like when I'm more connected to that, when I'm more grounded, when I'm more in connection with other people that I love around me, like it's easier for me to be in a place where I can not be in fear, right? And and be in a little more of an acceptance. But that'll vacillate. And I think that's how a lot of people operate. I mean, it's just inevitable. You're going to. <laughs> You're going yeah. To just Go cycle be. through all of these emotions yeah. and then repeat. <laughs> yeah. And then repeat. <laughs> then repeat. Yeah. Well, it kind of feeds back to what we were talking about with deathbed dreams and visions is that it is hard to accept that you're dying. And that's one of those gifts that can help you transition, right? Because it's something that takes that fear and kind of chills it out. Put some earth back, back into the whole equation of dying. I think it's a huge gift, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. I love, that's why I love when people talk about it and tell me about it because it gives them a gift and it gives me a gift, the person hearing. I mean, who knows, right? Who knows how I'll die or what will happen. But like, even just me knowing these things has helped me in life in general. Perspective, I guess. Yeah, perspective. Yeah. This whole idea of like getting older to me, there's so many people who like hate birthdays. And again, I don't want to like judge people who are doing that. But like, to me, it's like, I never, I never have that perception of like hating getting older. <laughs> like it's such a gift that I get to be 39 years old that I get to keep for now. Right. Like, because that doesn't happen for everybody and life is pretty great. And it's a gift that we get to get older if we do. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, this is probably a good, good spot for us to, I know we could keep going and and there's so much more (laughs) we could unfold, but let's keep it shorter for our listeners. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. Yeah. Little bites at a time are always good. (laughs) Yeah. So thank you. Thank you so much for this. I really, really appreciate it. And I know how enormously helpful our conversation and all the good work that you're doing is for others. So same, same, same. Yes. Thank you for having me. It's so great to meet you. This conversation is brought to you by the When You Die Project. From existential afterlife questions to palliative care and the nuts and bolts of green burial. If it has to do with death, we're talking about it. When you die.org.